Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Carbon Neutral Lent podcast. My name is Dara Wynn and Eleanor O'Brien will be joining me later on in the episode. So this Lent, the two of us are trying to go carbon neutral by cutting down our emissions as much as we can, by keeping track of what we do use and then offsetting our emissions at the end of Lent by planting some trees. This episode is called Green Shoots and we'll be talking a little bit about food later. The initial aim of Carbon Neutral Lent was to focus on our own emissions and what we could do as individuals to cut them down and to be more informed about our personal choices. But the noise coming from children all around the world on their school strikes is hard to ignore. So that's where we're going to start this week. That singing you heard was the students from LSP, Limerick School Project, Educate Together School, out on the street outside their school on the 15th of March for the school strike for climate. I stopped by there on the way into the main protest in Limerick. Uh, The kids were out. The kids all knew different songs that they had written as a school for their Green Flags project. And they were on a very busy street, so there were lots of people going past blowing their horn in support. After I went to Limerick School Project, I went into Limerick City, into the City Hall, to check out the protest that was there. And it was phenomenal. There were about 200 students at the Limerick protest. Anyone could go up and speak. And, you know, I think I don't think that children need to be experts on it. All they need to know, and the only reason they need to protest is that Um, The way things are going, they're going to have a very difficult future. And it's up to politicians and it's up to adults to sort it out. And that's all that they need to know. But so many of the children that spoke at the protest in Limerick knew a lot. They were really well informed, really articulate, really inspiring. And there was just a great atmosphere there. And the whole protest had been organized by a 13-year-old, Saoirse Exton, who was phenomenal, as well as talking about sort of the climate issues. She was talking about the sense of community that this movement had, that we all belonged to a a global family, that we were all coming together to sort out this big issue. And it was just it was just great to hear. And afterwards, I uh, had a little chat with Saoirse and I started off just asking her to explain uh, how long she'd be doing this for and why she organized this. Well, I started striking uh, two weeks ago, but um, I, I've i always kind of wanted to do something like this. Um, I, I started it because our planet is dying and uh, politicians are not taking enough action to, uh, you know, to stop this. And so I, we want to kind of pressure them into <laughs> doing something. Yeah. And uh, can you tell us, tell us about today then? Uh, for people that are listening that weren't here, there were... Were there as many people as you expected, or? Um, no, I thought there was about going to be about twenty, um, and and they ended up being. I think somebody did a head count. It was something like two hundred and eighty or something like that. So that's absolutely incredible, or maybe it was three. I I don't know. It was a big amount of people, <laughs> and uh, it was incredible. Just that atmosphere was so friendly. Everyone was cheering, and like, it was just so open as well. Like it wasn't like we didn't 
we didn't really have like organized speakers or anything people just came up and just spoke you know if they wanted to and yeah it was just it was great fun yeah 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 it was yeah. it was brilliant everyone that i've been talking to just feels really good after it and feels really hopeful so what what do people need to do next um i think people just need to keep striking like i think if we keep striking leo varadkar will declare an, um, a national climate crisis and if we keep striking um the government will notice us and they'll notice that we actually care and they realize oh wait we actually have to do something you know so yeah yeah <laughs> and what about what about adults like me oh. What do you think? What do you think we can do to help? I s you need you need to have like electric cars. You know, watch what you're eating. Watch like watch what you buy. Like consumerism and all of that. You know, um, and also vote for the right people. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> vote for the people that care about the climate. You know, don't vote for the people who who say that it's a hoax or don't mention anything about the climate in their campaigns. You know, email like double check everything like email everybody and see are you interested in the climate you know and and if they are then yeah that's good <laughs> so that was Sirsha Exton who organized the school strike for climate protest in Limerick and Sirsha is striking every Friday outside the Limerick 2030 building on Patrick Street if you ever want to go and show your support for her Okay, so I think it's time to bring Eleanor in to the picture for this episode. She'll be joining me by phone. And I'd like to say that we're doing this to cut down our emissions, but actually it is for the complete opposite reason that we weren't able to meet up this week. So uh, how, are you, how are you getting on, Eleanor? Hey, Dara. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So I hear you've been uh, looking at the carbon footprint of your flight to to and from Aberdeen. Yes. Um, yep. It was a short hour trip. And um, so flew, flew out from Dublin Airport into Aberdeen. And it was a total of 171 kilograms of carbon. Has jumped up my total amount to quite a bit. Yeah. So... Um, so just to give people context that your 171 kg I've totaled mine for the whole 12 days and it's currently at about 205 kg of CO2 so those flights alone are nearly the same as everything I've done in the last 12 days which is a lot which is a lot it's a lot yeah so it's you, eight trees, nine trees you've used up going to nine trees, a year worth of CO2 from nine trees for for that one return flight. So what's funny is that, do you know when people say like, oh, driving the car is really bad, getting planes is really bad, um, you you know, walk is bad. It's really, now that I know exactly what it equates to and like I know how much worse flying is or I know how much worse you know getting a car is now it really does once you have the figures and the facts it really does encourage you to be like no I will I will walk yeah. obviously I'm not going to the Aberdeen but just for other things yeah, so, yeah. yeah. knowledge is power isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely because I, I just think people saying like oh it's it's you know oh you're, you're you'd be better to walk it's kind of hard to know ah sure surely one drive in the car isn't going to hurt or like, ah, you know, another flight there. Ah, what, what harm is it? But it is 171 kilograms of harm. So that's like 1% of the average Irish 
person's carbon footprint for a year in that little flight you know so just to give a breakdown of my 200 kg worth of emissions half of that is coming from transport and travel and most of that 100 kg is from the diesel in my car uh, with a bit coming from public transport so i had a lot of i guess unavoidable travel so far and if you want to find out more about the footprint of travel then do have a listen to episode two of this podcast then about a quarter is coming from the heating and electricity in the house and the rest is coming from food and for the first week of food we were just getting uh, figures for the average footprint for a daily vegan diet or vegetarian diet or a low meat or high meat diet and marking in what kind of diet we had each day and then this week we tried to measure the footprint of every single thing we were eating itemizing it all and that has proved very very difficult to do um so as we've mentioned before in this podcast we're not experts um, we're learning a lot as we're going along and one of the things we have learned is that it is nigh on impossible to accurately uh, measure the footprint of every single bit of food that we eat uh, in terms of getting the data and also in terms of knowing exactly where your food uh, came from that there's a lot of variation that even for a specific food item that there's uh, can be a huge different difference in carbon footprint um, we're going to just carry on marking in the average figures for our daily diet and we have had i think quite a shift in mindset in our approach to food for this podcast and in general and that is thanks in no small part to our guest this week kenneth keevy from green earth organics so green earth organics is primarily an organic farm in corundula county galway the aim of green earth organics is to minimize the impact of the farm on the environment and they do this in a variety of ways uh, including growing their own produce in an organic and sustainable way they generate their own electricity using solar panels and harvest rainwater, which they then use to wash the veg and water plants in the tunnels we'll join the conversation where i've just been talking to kenneth about last week's podcast where Eleanor said that that we don't know where lots of the things that we buy have come from and how this is particularly true for food. Absolutely, Dara. I mean, food, I mean, if you think about food, I mean, we all eat. There is so much food out there in the world produced in so many different ways. And really, the reality of the supply chain these days is nobody really knows where their food comes from i mean you know it comes from ireland or you know it comes from spain or south america but you don't really know where you don't know the farm you don't know and you don't know how it's been produced we're eating food and we've seen it especially um in the the meat in the meat industry and it wasn't too long ago where we were eating you know there was horse meat and then what was supposed to be beef burgers and that's just an example of when things get so disjointed and disconnected the things like that can happen and the abuses are rife in, in the meat industry but um just taking it back to vegetables i suppose that's where what, what we do and what i know most about is you know um, the use of um, chemicals in food. Um, my background 
prior to being an organic farmer was I was an organic chemist and I worked in the pharmaceutical industry and I worked in the biotech industry and I understand chemistry and I understand chemicals and I don't really think uh, chemicals that are hazardous to our health are right and proper on our food. I mean, it just seems like common sense and yet we're told again and again that you know, it's it's fine. But no, don't worry about it. But it isn't really. The impact is 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 massive. We see it with the bees, the neonicotinoids, and the impact that's having on the bee populations. We depend on bees for our food, and yet these chemicals are being put out there, and they're, you know, they're essentially killing bees, and we depend on bees. And, and we're just looking at short-term game, profit margins, cheaper food, ever the expectation for ever cheaper food. And, you know, for something that's so important from our health, we all eat, like I said at the beginning, you know, the percentage of spend on food has declined over the, the decades. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's crucial to our well-being and it's crucial to the well-being of the planet. And yes, we want to pay as little as possible for it and it has the biggest impact. And that just seems to be the wrong way around. But we don't see that because all we see is something really lovely and bright and shiny on a supermarket shelf. And that's the way the system is set up. And that's the way the status quo want the system to be maintained. And I think we have that disconnection. And when you reconnect people with food and you show them and you bring them out to a field, especially you see with children, and we do that quite a bit here, I mean, it's just amazing. It just makes so much of a difference. And people now see cars come from clay, you know, with worms in it and that sort of stuff. And that's, I think, everybody, you know, would do, do it would do something good for people to, to just have a little bit more awareness around that. So that's that's my feeling on it. Just, I suppose, just to kind of take it down to a much smaller scale, um, can you sort of talk about, say, food bought direct from from Green Earth Organics? Can you sort of talk about the environmental and, I suppose, health benefits of buying veg from you as opposed to buying it off a supermarket shelf? Yeah, okay. Um, well, so when I started the business, we, in my grandfather's farm here, and I mean, we, you know, we're growing food right here in Kerndala in the west coast of Ireland. We have uh, 20 acres of our own farm and another 20 acres rented. That means that the land here locally is maintained in a way that's uh, sustainable. And interestingly, the guy who rented us the land wanted to rent the land to somebody um, who was doing things sustainably because he believed in that. And it was a tillage farmer, a conventional tillage farmer who had it prior to us. Um, and he just didn't want him to be using it anymore because of just in his mind, the application of sprays weren't good. So locally, even if it's just a small farm and a small area in the west of Ireland, it does have an impact and it has an impact for the local biodiversity. So that's important. Um, so the health benefits then. So when food is fresh, whether it be organic or conventional, it's got higher nutrient levels. And if we harvest carrots today out of our field and put them in a box and deliver them to you tomorrow, well, then they've got a higher nutrient level than, say, carrots that have been sitting on a supermarket shelf wrapped in plastic for a week. Um, now, obviously, the plastic aspect seems uh, uh, is, is so big these days. And, 
you know, and it kind of tends to deflect a little bit from climate change. And I'm not sure if that's a, a great thing because climate change, I think, is a bigger thing. But plastic is at least, you know, we've seen people mobilize and take action as a result of it and feel empowered that they can do something about it, which is fantastic. So supermarkets have kind of tipped their hat to the idea of getting rid of plastic. The main kind of bulk of the pressure seems to have moved on and now they've just regressed back to where they were and what action they actually took in the beginning uh, remains to be seen. So, well, when you buy from us, firstly, we try and minimize the packaging that we send out. Our boxes we reuse and we take them back. The paper bags we take back and we reuse. And we've just started now um, trying to decrease the amount of the paper bags that we use because fundamentally... Of course, recycling is good, but not having anything to recycle is even better. So, um, and then, of course, there's the issue with plastic. So, we've been using for well over a year, and we're, we're the first business in the food industry in Ireland to really take this seriously. And we moved over to compostable packaging before it was mainstream. And that took quite a bit of work because it just the, the products, the bags weren't there. So we plant-based bags for our plants that have been grown um, with fertility that comes from plants. So it's a kind of a nice little, um, you know, cycle. And just one other thing I wanted to mention there on the local aspect of it is food waste. And we have um, an egg supplier that set up a local business here um, with his hens based on essentially supplying it to us. So not only that is generating local employment, but the waste veg that we produce, um, he takes it away and feeds it to the hens that produce the eggs that come to us that go out to our customers. And again, it's kind of an example of a closed circuit um, and cyclical, you know, cyclical economy or cyclical movement, which is the best way because there's no waste there then and uh, nothing goes to landfill. And I mean, that's more, you know, that's the way things have to go. And supermarkets can't, they just can't operate like that. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's something people aren't aware of is that, you know, for every one carrot that's that's on a supermarket shelf, there's there's a lot wasted in the process of getting it to the supermarket that, that you just don't uh, see or think about. Absolutely, and that is huge, and that's a very, very good point. And um, again, you have the, you know, you have the supermarkets and they're listening to people and they hear, yeah, okay, well, people want the veg that is misshapen and doesn't meet specs and all this sort of stuff. And they do a little bit of work, but the reality is they don't really care. Their core is, as, and then every business has to make profit. And don't get me wrong, because you won't be around for very long. It won't be a healthy business, sustainable or otherwise, unless you are at least breaking even. But they don't, you know, that's not what they're into. They just want to sell as much as possible with the least amount of pain as possible, irrespective of what the consequences are. Now, maybe that's changing slowly, and I hope it is, but the food wasting is huge. And then that tends to be pushed on to charities to deal with this. And that's great that the charities are there and are dealing with it, but really it's the responsibility of the retailer to, to deal with that, not to be, you know, shunting it onto charities that have to have been created to deal with this problem that they created, if you know what I mean. So. All right. Um, so already this year, there's kind of been, you know, so much coverage about um, the declining insect population and and sort of the, the you know, soil exhaustion and soil erosion all around the world, as well as as well as sort of traditional farming contributing to greenhouse gas emissions um 
can you sort of maybe explain a little bit about these problems and if or, or just the solutions that organic farming offers to these problems yeah okay well, there's a few things there i think um i think one that i might hone in on there because i think it's inextricably linked to the rest is the soil exhaustion aspect so i i say I've, I've been up to um some really really good uh, uh growers in in uh, big conventional growers in, in in ireland and i've looked at their farms and i've learned a lot from how they work um however the pressure that's on them and not get into the supermarket thing again to produce stuff at a certain price means that the intensity of how they farm the soil is at a level that's unsustainable from a soil. So a soil needs to be alive, it needs to be vibrant, it's got so much activity, billions of bacteria, fungi, microhyzae, you know, there's then all the little insects and earthworms. If you pulverize that soil and try to extract too much from it, all of that dies in, in, with the chemicals and the actual mechanization of working the soil you effectively end up with a dead medium for growing your plants into. And that dead medium, then you apply artificial fertilizers. So you have a soil that isn't able to absorb water, isn't able to deal with drought, so it loses its water content very quickly. Um, it isn't able to weather the climatic shocks that we're now experiencing. And a dead soil is nothing but, if I would say maybe like a cotton wool, it's like you know hydroponics now where you grow in a medium and you apply the nutrients um, through a drip, essentially. And uh, globally, conventional intensive agriculture, that's maybe an analogy that could be used because the soil just isn't, it isn't alive anymore. And when you lose that, then you also lose the soil's ability to absorb carbon because organic matter is essentially carbon. And if there's no organic matter in the soil, then you don't have any carbon in the soil and that's gone somewhere so it must be gone into the atmosphere so it's kind of all linked so we have soil exhaustion uh, which has been created by traditional intensive conventional farming which is leading to well immediately greater greenhouse gas emissions just from the soil's inability to store carbon um, and then not only that of course I mean that I mean the big thing the biggest thing with agriculture and carbon emissions is the the meat industry. And there's no getting away from that and, and the soil production and the destruction of the rainforests. And that's massive. And there is one of our last remaining carbon sinks being destroyed to produce unsustainable food in a just in an intensive manner. That's it, it's like a double double damage. Um and and finally, then the insect population and people use, again, the idea that once upon a time you would drive down the road and your windscreen would get covered in insects and you put the windscreen wipers on and you wouldn't be able to see out. And again, it's always a, it always brings it home to people because now you can drive down a motorway quite fast and you may not even see one fly dead on your windscreen. And where have all the insects gone? They're gone. And there's lots of studies, as you rightly pointed out, showing that nearly 80% of the biome are gone, dead, you know, it's, and that will be where, you know, where food chains start to crumble because insects are the start of the food chain. And if they're not there and there's no food for the bigger, you know, birds and mammals, and that's, that's a big thing. And that's where we see it first. And that's related obviously to climate change, uh, which is related inextricably to farming 
and you've also got the added issue of 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 chemicals and um yeah so and and where organic agriculture fits into that of course is it just offers a model that's sustainable that keeps the soil alive it doesn't use the chemicals it has so many different uh, things going for it and it's effectively the way things were done you know only 50 years ago it's not actually that long ago um and if we just produced different food a little differently the wood there would be enough for everybody to eat because the argument is often used that well organic agriculture couldn't feed the world well Maybe we don't need all the big feed lots with intensive meat production and all of that. And I'm not saying for people not to eat meat. I don't eat meat. It's just my decision. But maybe people could eat less meat and meat that's you know produced sustainably. And then there'd be enough for everybody. And it could be produced sustainably, crucially. And all those subsidies could be funneled into um, an, a, a way of producing food that protects biodiversity. And things could be done differently, you know. And organic agriculture just offers a system to allow that to happen so that's why i think it's a good thing okay so uh for people just for people listening then that kind of you know have become aware of of the problems um and that do want to eat more sustainably and don't know where to start what kind of advice would you give people uh okay i think if you go the easiest way is to go to the market um, buy from a, a farmer that grows his own vegetables or, or whatever. So you go to a market, you find somebody that can tell you, yeah, they came from our farm or it was grown like this. And there you have an instant connection with a grower. And that's that's one thing. And buy from us, obviously. Um, crucially, and it, it can't be not said, is to eat less or no meat or dairy because it's hugely intensive. It's hugely it consumes so much water, so much energy to produce, you know, uh, the same amount of calories in meat as it does in veg. So again, that would be to cut down your meat use um, and eat more fruit and veg and eat less um, less processed stuff. So at least with the fruit and veg, you'll be sure you can find where it's coming from when things are processed you really don't know where stuff comes from or how it was produced and there's very little traceability um we've seen that again and again in supermarkets where they're marketing things as there was one really funny one there you know was it denny um with her yeah her we, talk, we talked about that in our first in our first podcast actually yeah it came up yeah yeah, and that's funny, like Irish Wexford chicken from Brazil, you know. So at least if you're eating fresh stuff, the, by law, you have to put um, the country of origin on, on the, you know, so you know it's come from Wexford and not from Brazil. And when you process stuff, you don't know that. So I'd say go to the farmer, he'll know, eat less meat and eat fresh food. And with those three things, then at least you've got a, a chance of of, of you know, doing the right thing, and and well, I suppose one very easy thing, and very people feel very empowered. It comes back to the plastic thing again. Leave your plastic stuff on the tills in supermarkets and buy loose fruit and veg. You know, that stuff doesn't need to be wrapped in plastic. It's just ridiculous. So it is. Yeah. So that's it, really. That's what I would say. So that was Kenneth Keevy from Green Earth Organics. And they deliver their food and other organic produce nationwide 
and if you are interested in ordering from them then go on to greenearthorganics.ie and i would also strongly recommend uh following them on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash green earth organics ireland it is a great source of information and insight and a huge thanks again to kenneth for joining me for a chat and and we will be uploading the full conversation at a later date i thought he was really interesting he's talking about things that have been done before that have worked he knows it does work and he's just trying to be like look we all need to maybe make change and i thought he was brilliant even when he gave us like you know our little fat like our our tips at the end to be like you know you know buy from an actual farmer go to markets avoid processed food which is like you can't do it all the time but like as much as possible so i did like his tips and i just thought he was interesting about the soil i thought that was really cool because yeah. i never thought of like what's what you need because i like where i never thought that there was like a science behind it no no there needs to be like like microorganisms in it needs to be fungi i never consider that yeah and uh, yeah yeah and i've actually i've been looking up the sort of fertilizer stuff um since then you know because i guess that's one big thing is that we hear the fertilizer is bad so to give some context about fertilizer uh from how bad are bananas and everything so fertilizer in this in this book and obviously it's a it's it's a few years old now so it mightn't be accurate but three tenths of the emissions from from beef production comes from the use of fertilizer rice has a really surprisingly high carbon footprint i don't know if you if you knew that rice has a higher carbon footprint than petrol um how because there's loads of overused fertilizer and also because they flood the fields are flooded uh in rice production and that releases methane from the from the ground which is worse than we know that's worse than co2 is 20 times worse also the excess fertilizer produces nox which is the gas that pete was talking about um that comes off the plains and nox is 300 times worse than co2 Wow. And one ton of fertilizer. That's from rice. And that's from that's from rice. And basically one ton of fertilizer. Uh it's 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 yeah. really it takes a lot of energy and a lot of heat to produce it. So producing it makes a lot and then the, it, like using it badly, basically using too much of it, uh can produce one ton can produce between two point seven tons and twelve point three tons of CO two E. So that, range. yeah, but that gives a lot of context to what Kenneth was saying, you know, about the soil. Um, that fertilizer, not even taking into account the effect that it has on insects, uh, you know, to exhaust the soil and the effect that it has on wildlife and, and everything. Um, mm-hmm. just, just purely from a CO2 point of view, but I think, a- yeah, one, one of the big things I got from Kenneth's thing was just like food is such a big issue that we just can't boil it down to the emissions do you know it's such an all-encompassing thing um that was one thing i really took from it um how how so as in like you know it obviously like in overly intensive farming and meat farming obviously there are big emissions from it but also like in terms of Mm -hmm. protecting protecting biodiversity 
um in terms of insect preservation in terms of like keeping the soil so that it can be so that it's going to be so that the land is going to be usable in the future um you know that it's such a big broad issue that uh that it takes in it takes in so much more than just than just the emissions you know um it's kind of yeah it's kind of opened my there's eyes a lot to consider. there's a lot to consider and i just thought the point he made at the very start that we just all eat food we all eat lots of food and it's one thing that we should be you know spending our money on and and given more thought to like it's once you've heard it it's such an obvious yeah. thing it's such an obvious thing but it's 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 so true um and i just love that i just love the thought of like you know say if you buy food from them with having having listened to him and having chatted to him you know you, you know i really feel confident that the food i'm getting is good and that the money that i'm spending is going towards so many good things not just lower emissions but also you know protecting that biodiversity and and uh it's a really good thing and that's the other thing i suppose is that it can be daunting you know thinking about oh i'm it might be buying food and it's really bad but actually if you buy good food you're doing lots of good in lots of different ways and i think that's cool. yeah which is which is cool because you're doing you're doing good for yourself and you're doing good for the environment yeah and, yeah and the other thing like like everything that he said so his his advice at the end was to get to know a farmer that was one thing wasn't it don't buy processed food Mm-hmm. And that's also from an emissions point of view, like the the example that I've got in my head now is uh, Cocoa Pops, uh, is that, you know, the, the chocolate or the cocoa has come from Africa. The rice has come, which yeah. we've just talked about rice, how bad rice is. The rice has come from Vietnam or Thailand. And then it's made in a factory somewhere in Europe. And then it goes to the supermarket. And then you eat it for breakfast. And the carbon footprint of that is... Average Kellogg's product is 2.64 kg per kilo of CO2 per kilo of cereal and uh and cocoa pops would be much much higher than that. Um so so yeah so the process I I I don't I haven't eaten cocoa pops in quite a while but you know I've eaten them much more I've I've (laughs) eaten them much more recently than than uh than a 29 year old man should have uh I'm not yeah (laughs) without going into too much detail uh yeah um (laughs) there you go thanks I thought I'd be light-hearted talking about some kids cereal and now you've just shamed me I like like I I've just never ate them before and I don't know what the appeal was. Yeah. So, well, you're basically yeah. eating chocolate for breakfast. Uh, that's the that's the appeal. So, and processed food in general, you've got double you've got double the transport because the all the ingredients are brought to somewhere and then they're shipped out to mm-hmm. to uh, to the supermarket. So, uh yeah, and what um oh, and then the third the, the other bit of advice that that Kenneth gave was um was about reducing meat of course uh mm. that was the last piece of advice and um yeah so we yeah I, th- I think it's good because it's probably it's forced us to address it now hasn't it uh the whole meat thing some people aren't fans of it some people are not happy about hearing they've eat less meat some people are a little bit more accepting of a little bit more like all right yeah here look not the end of the world but other people are like nope 
No way. What are you talking about? Yeah, and it's just like yeah, it's just even you know even cutting down like makes makes such a big difference. Um, you know, even just cutting down once, you know, one one less meal. Start off with that one less meal of meat a week or one meat-free meal a week, and then just try and build or even changing the type of changing the type of meat. Like if you change from beef to chicken, emission you know emissions will be more than halved. So just a quick rundown of why beef is so bad is the cows ruminate, so they chew the cud and they burp a lot. It's not actually farting that makes the methane emissions. <laughs> uh, they burp a lot. <laughs> so they burp, they burp a lot. And then also the fertilizer for grass also uh, causes, causes emissions. And, the, and then the, the meal they use, like the beef nuts they use, uh, a lot of them would have yeah. so- soy in them and a lot of the soy will be produced in uh, places where rainforests have been cut down. Um, so, soy. yeah, so even like, so even some of the beef nuts used in Ireland would have soy in them. And like that, you know, it's very hard to trace the food. It's, it comes, it's all full circle yeah. stuff. So, yeah, so that's like, you know, um, beef in Ireland is some of the greenest beef in the world the best most environmentally friendly beef in the world but it's still the kind of worst plant-based protein sources are still way better than than the very best beef it's crazy it is yeah so do you want a quick rundown of um do you want a quick rundown per 100 grams of protein from different protein sources there's a cool article so where'd you find this article there this article i found i emailed someone who had another list from 2014 uh, i emailed peter scarborough mm-hmm. and i told him what i was doing and he said good luck with your attempt that sounds quite challenging so you know peter scarborough <laughs> knew he knew he knew what was what he knew that we would very much struggle with uh, measuring our food emissions Up against the wall. and he sent me <laughs> yeah he sent me on an article called reducing foods environmental impacts through producers and consumers um, and there's a lovely list for, so it's not for the weight of the food, it's for 100 grams of protein. So 100 grams of protein, I think, so that would be like maybe 250 grams of beef or whatever. So 100 grams of protein coming from beef, 50 kg of CO2 uh, is the average, worldwide average. So Ar- Ireland would probably be a bit a bit lower than that. Uh, coming from lamb, tw- it's 20 kg of CO2 for 100 grams of protein. Um, coming from cheese, it's 11 kg of CO2 for 100 grams of protein from cheese. 7.6 from pig meat. 6 kg from fish. 5.7 kg from poultry. So you see there that like chicken is nearly 10 times better from these figures. Uh, then, then, uh, then beef, and then eggs four point two, then uh, uh, pulses so beans and stuff will be point eight kg of CO two uh, for a hundred grams okay, of protein. So it's it's so it's it's a huge 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 difference. Um, it's it's just massive. It's you know even even if you know it's it, you're talking about 10 times at least 10 times better um and that's a very generous estimate 
at least 10 times better to get your protein from beans and and chickpeas and stuff compared to beef so it's it's huge like if you think of that across the whole world even what one part you know even cutting out that one meal a day or a week um would make such a big difference and then nuts which i was boggled by because i was like oh nuts you know they're traveling a long distance they're probably really bad um the average is 0.3 so just 300 grams of co2 um for 100 grams of protein from nuts and then even like sometimes (laughs) i couldn't figure it out and then i was like oh nuts grow on trees so sometimes if you're eating nuts they are (laughs) actually better than carbon neutral which is mad uh so you can actually technically lower your carbon footprint by by eating nuts uh in you know in i don't get that what do you mean they grow on trees so the trees yes. absorb carbon dioxide <laughs> so if you plant a nut tree and you're eating the nuts from that tree you're obviously you know uh, oh yeah that's kind of cool it's it's so i was like how are nuts so low and then i was like oh yeah they grow on trees you know those things that absorb the co2 <laughs> <laughs> that's where the nuts come from yeah. uh which is gas it is gas, it is gas. um and then also milk is the same Mil- yeah. <laughs> uh, milk is the same the, the the best milk that comes from animals is still far worse than the worst milk that comes from plants uh so it's yeah, it's so plant-based milk is better it is yeah like way much much better um so it's just okay. yeah yeah, so there, there we go. So that's I'm glad I'm glad that Kenneth brought up the meat thing because I think we probably would have shied away from it a bit. Do you want some good news? Please, Derek, love a bit of good news. I love it. So good news. Good. Uh, I've, I've tried to find some food-related good news. Um, mm-hmm. In New York, the schools, so the kids get fed in school. Eighteen schools have been trying out uh, meat-free Mondays, and as of the next school mm-hmm. year. As of the next school year, all schools in New York are going to be doing meat-free Mondays. So that is 1.1 million students. Uh, some of them get two meals a day in there, and on Mondays, all meat-free. So uh, huge, huge, huge uh, cut in emissions just from one little area's uh, decision. That's good, isn't it? That's brilliant. That's very, very good. That's um, that's really. So is it the schools that do that themselves? Is it? It's like I guess it's like the authority, like the education board or whatever, uh, made this call, which is very good. Uh, another another tree related thing. Pakistan have plans have started planting ten billion trees, and what's really wow. cool about it is that there are two hundred places, there are two hundred points around the country where just anyone can go and and collect some tree saplings and then you can just plant them wherever you want. Very nice. Which is br- it's so cool. Like it's uh, obviously making it a community thing and giving people that kind of ownership and connection. It's a lot of trees. It's a lot of trees, yeah, and it's just a variation on the theme. You know, we've had some good tree planting news every week. Uh but I really like this one for the community aspect of it. Uh it's very good. So, you know, d- and different communities are getting involved in different ways. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening to podcast number three, which has been entitled Green Shoot. And uh, thank you so much. You can catch us again next week to see how myself and Dara are getting on 
um, trying to be carbon neutral this Lent 2019. Thank you very much. Chat to you next week. And if you want to get involved, you can find us on Facebook forward slash carbon neutral Lent. Instagram.com forward slash carbon neutral Lent and Twitter.com forward slash enviral Lent. Carbon neutral Lent at gmail.com if you want to send us an owl email. Uh, we don't have a funny bit for this episode. Uh, that's what happens when you only record an hour and a half worth of material instead of six hours worth of material. Six hours. Uh, no, and maybe also that. we're not face to face, so. Yeah. I I've been I've been I've been uh, eating loads of minstrels while you've been chatting away <laughs> and uh, getting away with murder. Yeah, the. And they're chatting away there, and I've been here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, minstrels are probably terrible. Uh, they definitely are. Like I was, you know. So, um, so we were kind of talking a bit off air about a lot of factors you've taken. Yeah, um, yeah. I heard you came into a spot of difficulty. Yeah. So sorry, you're gone a bit muffly there now as well. Again. Um, oh, I've probably eaten minstrels. Um, <laughs> I'm.